the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Jesus had been working many miracles all around the area. The blind got their sight back. The lame walked. The demon-possessed were set free. The sick were healed, and the dead were raised back to life. Jesus sent the disciples on a mission to preach the gospel of repentance and heal people all around. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 10. When we start Luke 10, we enter into kind of an interesting part of the life of Jesus because from chapters 10 to 18, Luke covers the final six months of Jesus's life in greater detail than any gospel writer. John does a little bit more too. Uh, Matthew and Mark don't really cover a ton, but Luke covers a lot of things here. So most of chapters 10 through 18 will be entirely unique. You won't find them in the other gospels. And and in doing so, Luke's going to be showing how the religious leaders, they grow more and more antagonistic toward Jesus until their final solution is to kill him. And and Jesus knows that's what's coming. But in his great love, he continues preaching the good news. He continues serving those who are in need, stopping at every village along the way, wherever he goes. And so as Jesus sends advanced teams to those villages to prepare those people for his arrival, we're going to get an insider's glimpse into what it was like to go to Jesus' school of ministry. So I do have quite a few points today of, of things that we can learn from this. So hopefully one of them at least will be a blessing to you. Chapter 10 of Luke, we begin in verse 1. This is now after these things, so after he's traveling to Jerusalem, most likely still en route to Jerusalem. It says, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Now, the last time Jesus did something like this because it was, it was too big for him to reach everybody, he just sent the 12 out. So now he's got 70 he's sending out, which means they're covering even more area, which again is likely because he's on his way to Jerusalem. These would be those who had stuck with Jesus when many other disciples had left him. When Jesus's popularity started to go down and some of those who had followed him from the beginning and no, were no longer following him, these guys had stuck by his side. This we're going to see here is their, their specific marching orders. We studied our specific marching orders the last couple of weeks in Luke 9. Uh, but these instructions are for, the, for these 70 people for this specific mission. So why does Luke share it with us? Because there are principles here, even if it's, this is not our specific mission, there are principles here that help us to learn the Lord's heart so that we can serve him and please him in doing so. And so we start off here and it mentions that he sends them out two by two 
which is the first principle, is that the Lord wants us partnering with other people. The Lord wants us partnering with other people. You know, Jesus invited others to come alongside him in ministry. If anyone could have been that loner in ministry and been fine, it would have been him. But Jesus invited others to come alongside him. You know, loner, alpha wolf mentalities, they might work in the business world, but they do not in serving the Lord. They don't. God never designs us to do that. He always designs us where he's going to call other people alongside of us, or he wants us to invite other people to come alongside of us. Frequently, the Lord pairs us up with uh, people we wouldn't choose, huh? <laughs> right? I find people that say, you know, I, I just don't understand this person, you know, and I don't understand why I have to work beside him, you know, you know, and they just drive me nuts. And I think, yeah, that's probably why you have to work beside him, because the Lord wants you to learn, you know? Because if we can learn to be gracious and kind towards that person and work together with them, then we will have a genuine love, a supernatural love towards those that we are serving. You know, and that's what we need to have. Going it alone might seem like a more efficient way to get things done, but the Lord has never been about just getting the job done, has he? He's never been about that. He's always about others. So first, the Lord wants us to participate with other people. If you're doing something all by yourself, you need to, you need to find somebody at least to come do it with you or, or, or you know, invite someone to come alongside you. Next, we see here that their job was to go into every city and place whether he himself would come. In other words, ministry, number two, ministry is about pointing people to Jesus. It's not only does the Lord want us to partner with other people, but ministry is about pointing other people to Jesus. You know, the disciples, they're going to do some pretty awesome things here. They're going to heal people, cast out demons. They're going to have a huge impact in these villages that they go to. But the purpose was to prepare people for Jesus' arrival. See, everything that we do for others should come with the understanding that someone even more wonderful than us loves them. Someone even more wonderful than us wants to be there for them. Someone even more wonderful than us wants to speak to them. And so there's someone even more wonderful than us that they need to have a relationship with. You know, we need to be pointing. Ministry is pointing other people to Jesus. Verse 2, he, therefore he sent it to them because he's going to send them out. He gives them some instructions. But before he gives them the instructions, I mean, this is an instruction, but he, he tells them to do something first. He says, therefore he said unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. That word truly, it's a, it's a Hebrew idiom. It's there. It, it means on the one hand, you know, we find like when we do our, our music, well, you know, we will often write songs that might have, you know, a rhyming thought or, or like a, a thought of, uh, that fits, you know, where we have maybe the song tells a story or the, the song has a theme to it. And, and it's not that, that Hebrew poetry and songwriting and discussion is, it doesn't ever use those things, but the Hebrews in particular, the Middle Easterners, they, they find great art in contrast. And so this word, you know, truly, it's, it's that Hebrew uh, technique of contrast. So it says, you know, on the one hand, the harvest is great. The, in other words, he says the crop is huge, you know. The crop is huge. There's so many people out there. And, you know, I have to point out real quickly, if reaching the people in just a bunch of villages was a huge task for these guys, how much bigger is our task of reaching the entire world for Jesus? If the harvest was great and huge back then for just a few villages, well, it's even bigger for us because we're called to go make disciples of all creation. That's our mission. So he says, the harvest is indeed, the crop is huge, but here's the problem. It says, the laborers are few. 
those working toward the task of reaching those villages for the Lord, they would be few in number. And so he says, therefore, you need to pray. You must pray. You know, it's imperative. It's a command. And, and it means to ask with urgency. It's the same word that was used when that father came with his son who was demon-possessed and had epilepsy. And, and he said, please, Jesus, you got to help me. You got to do something. You need to plead with the father, to beg the father that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, that's interesting because that means even if I'm moving with God's power, and even if I'm being obedient to him in the task he set before me, that will never be enough to reach the world for Christ. It'll never be enough. The disciples might have a powerful impact in the villages that they visit. Jesus might even do amazing things when he gets there. But if no one remains in those villages to serve those people, they will struggle afterwards. And so he says, you need to pray that God sends more people to those people. And so prayer, the third point, the third principle of ministry, I guess you could say, that Christ is trying to teach them is that prayer must precede all that we do, particularly prayer that God would raise up others to join in the task. You know, if we sit here and we think to ourselves, oh man, we got a good thing going at Calvary Chapel Orlando and we've got a good leadership team and we've got good people who serve us here, praise the Lord for that. But we need to pray for more. You know, We need to pray that God would raise up more people to join in that task. To say, Lord, bring more people here with gifts that, that will serve our community and, and reach out because we're not going to reach Orlando if it's just me and, and, and you know, a few other people. And we're not going to reach Orlando if it's just us. We need more people to join in this task. So prayer must pre- precede, number three, prayer must precede all we do, particularly that God would raise up others to join us in our task. And you know what? Every single one of us can pray that God will send more people. I don't know if it's Pastor Chuck or, or someone else who would encourage the congregation to pray at, every time they ate, to just pray, you know, as a family or you're at lunch, just right before you pray for your food, pray this, God bless Calvary Chapel. That's not hard to pray, is it? You can do that. Every, every time you go to eat, just pray and say, God bless Calvary Chapel Orlando. You know, I, I, when I heard that, I thought, Lord, that's, that's a quick prayer. I can just ask you to bless our church, you know? And I, I started doing that after I heard him say that. Let's do that. Let's pray, God, bless Calvary Chapel Orlando. Lord, send more laborers into Orlando, to the harvest that's here, so that this crop that is huge, that you want to harvest, that, that we can reach those people for you. We can all play a part in the mission of reaching all the world through fervent prayer. And it's not just saying it haphazardly, you know, or Lord, bless Calvary Chapel, you know, you don't even remember you prayed it, you know? But fervently, just ask the Lord, say, Lord, I'm really asking you for this. Will you please do this? We need you to send laborers. Once the disciples understood that they needed to pray first, it was time to get going. And so in verse three, he says, now go your ways. You got to get going. That's literally what it means is you got to get going. And he says, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. So carry neither purse nor script nor shoes and salute no man by the way. Again, this is interesting. He says, you got to get going. So the idea of don't carry any a purse or which, which would be like money bag or nor scrip, that would be like, you know, your travel bag, nor shoes, that would be an extra pair of shoes. And then he says, salute no man by the way. 
This wasn't a prohibition against saying hi to anybody or against taking money, you know, or, or wearing the shoes that were on your feet. The idea is he doesn't want them going back home to prepare for a long journey. If we were going to go on a mission trip, we would usually prepare by making sure we had enough clothing and making sure we, we had our suitcase all fulfilled so we could get through the laborious conditions for the next two weeks without, without hot water. We might bring a, a little portable water heater in our suitcase or something like that. The idea here is they needed to get going. No going home to say goodbye or to set the house in order. It was go time. When you go like that, that requires a little bit of faith, doesn't it? You're going to have to trust the Lord to take care of you. You're not going to be able to rely upon your great skill at packing or your great skill at planning. You just got to go. And that's why Jesus says, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. It was interesting. I was watching. I thought, what is it like when a wolf attacks, you know, a herd? And I was watching a video, and it almost sound, looks playful. Like when you see a wolf attack the herd, it looks like the dog's, you know, it looks like a dog playing with a, another animal out there. And they, they kind of jump up and down, and they, they run around the sheep and everything, almost like a sheepdog would. Almost like a sheepdog would. I've seen that because I was in Israel, and I saw that. But that playfulness is designed to frighten the sheep because the sheep knows they're not there to play. The sheep knows they're not just a sheep dog. They know it's a wolf. And the idea is what the wolves are waiting for. Two or three of them will do this and they'll just run around and bark and yip and, you know, it looks like they're playing. But they know that it, what will happen is one will become scared and it will bolt. And I watch this, I'm just watching, all of a sudden one bolts and leaves the herd, leaves the safety of the numbers of the herd, and immediately all the wolves peel off and they go and they kill it. And that's interesting because Jesus basically is saying, you know, I'm sending you out not just as sheep, but lambs, the young of the sheep, the most vulnerable. I'm sending you off to leave the herd to enter wolf country is what he's saying. Very vulnerable and with very little resources to secure your own well-being. And that brings us to principle number four, faithfulness. I know it sounds simple, but it requires faith. <laughs> faithfulness requires faith. God's, he's never going to call us to something where he charts everything out for you and everything looks perfect and, and it's all going to go that way. He just never does that. You know, there are times I'm that type of person. I like to plan everything out ahead of time. You know, I'm the type of person, you know, there was an episode on some sitcom where they went on family vacation and there was like the, the dad had the clipboard of fun. And, and the, the clipboard of fun was anything but fun because everything had to be done a certain way. And so they were for having a good time. And he's like, okay, now we got to leave and go do this to make sure that we have fun. And everybody's going, we're having fun. We don't want to go do that. You know, but they had to follow the clipboard of fun. I'm that type of person. You know, I want to make sure that we, we follow the plan and we do everything as it's supposed to. God has a clipboard of fun, but he's not letting you see it. So if you're going to be faithful in the task that God sets you on, it requires faith. You're going to have to trust him. There's going to be times when God puts you in a situation you're not prepared for in the sense of that you thought about it ahead of time and you thought all the details out and you were just, you knew exactly how it was going to go. You are going to find yourself in places where you go, wow, Lord, I don't know what to do. And he's going to go, it's okay. I do know what to do. Trust me. I've already got this covered because even though you haven't planned it out, I have. So faithfulness requires faith. That's number four. Now, next, we go down to verse 5. That's how they're to go. Now, what are they to do when they get there? Verse 5, and into whatsoever house you enter, first say, 
peace be to this house. Peace is that word shalom, that, that greeting, that Jewish greeting. When we, we say hi, we really don't think a whole lot about it and say, hey, how you doing? It's funny because sometimes you see people get annoyed. I take things at face value. I'm just how I am. And so when someone says, hey, how you doing? I will say, oh, I'm not so good if I'm having a not so good week. I'm not going to say, oh, great, if I'm not great. And you can see sometimes that people are going, oh, I wish I didn't say and ask him how he was doing. I just, I was just trying to say, hi, man, just trying to be polite. You know, I didn't want to have a conversation. But shalom never, that never was that way in that culture. Shalom was a gift you pronounced upon a person. It means to give someone welfare, to give someone comfort from God. So it wasn't necessarily something you said. It was something to be received. And so when you would go into these, these two by two, they would go into the town village and, and they would say, hey, peace be to this house. You know, I wanna, I wanna bless you. The question was only whether they were welcomed to bring their peace there or they were not welcomed. So if they welcome you, he says this, if the son of peace be there, uh, son of peace is a Hebrew idiom that just means, you know, someone who wants God to work in their lives. So the, the opposite of that is the son of Belial, the son of Satan, you know, who doesn't care what God thinks. So so if they are interested in, in God working in their lives, and then he says, then your peace, your blessing, you know, shall rest upon that home. And if not, well, then your blessing will return back to you. You know, your blessing will give rest and comfort and a special blessing will come upon that family. But if they refuse to welcome the Lord into their lives, well, then they'll miss out on that special blessing from the Lord, but you'll be able to give it to others. It will return back to you. So if they welcome you, he says, in that same house remain. And make sure you eat and drink such things as they give to you. Don't complain about dinner, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Do not go from house to house. And into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are inside that that city, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near unto you. Now, there's quite a few principles here of ministry. The first one is, and this is number five, if you're taking notes, is be a blessing, not a burden okay? Be a blessing, not a burden. Sometimes those who serve the Lord are a headache to those they're serving, and that should never be the case. For example, we're going to do this cleanup, we're gonna, and, and I encourage you to participate in that. We decided that they called us up, and they said, hey, you've helped out in the past. We're wondering if we could use your church as a, like a, a place of staging our operations and feed our people here and stuff, and we're like, you bet. We'd love to do that. That'd be awesome. And, uh, and so, you know, they're coming. And, and in two weeks, the city commissioner is going to be here. going to be an interesting thing. It's going to be a big deal. So the last thing we want to do is be a headache. We want to be a blessing. We want to be a blessing to them. So, you know, as we participate in this, they don't look around and go, you know, this could be done more efficiently. Someone else was commissioner. We could probably do this more efficiently. Maybe so, but you're not. So let's be a blessing. Let's not be a headache to somebody. Let's just serve. Let's just come alongside. That's what he tells them. You go into a home, eat whatever they put in front of you. Don't go from house to house because you think, man, this bed's hard. You know, I heard that so-and-so's got a nicer bed. And they even told me, say, hey, we've got a bigger room for you, whatever. And think, you know, hey, guys, thanks for letting me stay here, but I'm going over there, you know. No, just eat your food and be a blessing to the home that invites you in. Be a blessing, not a burden. It's interesting, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were exactly opposite of that. In Matthew 23, verses 2 through 4, Jesus says the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. They, They have his authority. They're in charge. They're your leaders. Therefore, everything whatsoever they bid you to observe, 
That you need to observe and do. Now, that's interesting because the Lord says, because he's going to lambaste him in a second. You've got bad leaders, but you still need to follow the law. That's what he says. You've got bad leaders, but you still need to follow the law. But then he says this, but do not after their works. Don't follow their example. For what they say, for they say and they do not. They say one thing, but do something different. And here it is. For they bind heavy burdens that are grievous to be borne, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves wouldn't move them with one of their fingers. Don't be that. You know, if you ever find a leader who's being that here, I need to know, because that's not our job. I don't ever want to lay heavy trips on people. I don't want to ever be a burden to people. I'm here to serve. I don't want people going, oh, here comes Pastor Will. Be careful. Careful what you do. Careful what you say. Or careful how you act. Make sure you put out the red carpet. You know, who's got the flowers? You know, I don't, I don't want any of that. You know, I don't want to be a burden. You know, we're here to, we're here to serve you guys. And, and any pastor that's a, is a pain in the neck, don't have him be your pastor. Now, next, Jesus mentions here in, in Luke, he says, not only they're not to be, there be, be a blessing, not a burden, but he tells them to help those who are hurting. He says, I want you to heal the sick that are inside that city, inside that village. The word there, heal, it doesn't just mean to cure. It means also to take care of. And it's imperative. It's a command. You, need, you must do this. And so we find, you know, principle number six in ministry is, ministry is about helping those who are hurting, helping those who are hurting. You know, if all we do is preach, then we don't show the compassion and care of Christ. If all we do is help people, then we do them injustice by leaving them without any real life change. But if all we do is preach, we don't show the compassion and the care of Christ. So ministry is about helping those who are hurting. And and as we go out to help those who are hurting, number seven, we need to expect God to empower us. You know, it's funny, Jesus says to him, you must heal the sick that are in that city. You know, he says it as if, you know, like he would tell us to drive to the store and go get some milk. Hey, can you go to the store and get some milk? I mean, he says it like it's just a simple thing that's going to happen. But see, Jesus knew his father would empower, empower his disciples to do these supernatural things. And we should expect God to do the same for us. We need to expect that God will empower us for the task he sends us out on. If God tells us, hey, I want you to share with that person in line at the grocery store, don't think, what do I say? Who knows? You think anybody knows what they're going to say? No one knows what they're going to say in that moment. There is no school that prepares you to the point where, you know, all of a sudden when God puts it on your heart to go share the gospel with somebody and you go, I know exactly how I'm going to take care of this. I'm really good at this. Here I go to evangelize creation. No one responds to the voice of the Lord like that. No matter how many times I've done it, no matter how many times, I always get that little nervous feeling going, God wants me to share with that person. What do I say? And then I have to remind myself what Jesus told his own disciples. Take no anxious thought for what you will say. For in that moment, your father will tell you what to say. And so you just have to go out and say it. I think Donna has been, and Bev have been going over evangelism with the ladies in the Bible study. And I think Donna shares a story about, if I'm getting it wrong, I'm sorry. But I think she shares a story about the first time someone had her do that and share her faith. And I think she actually went and told him and said, I'm here to share my faith. Can I practice on you? That's great. Like, like the worst thing that, I mean, if the worst thing you could do, which is the best thing, is just to, to go up to him and say, hey, the Lord told me to talk to you about the fact that I'm a Christian. Can I talk to you about that? What's the worst thing that can happen? No. <laughs> then do what they did. Just shake the dust off your feet and walk away. 
No, don't do that. Don't do that. We need to expect God to empower us. We, we should not cower, you know, and think to ourselves, oh, you know, I don't know what to do. Nobody knows what to do. God knows our frame that we're simply dust. Sometimes we're not there necessarily to be the one to lead them to Christ. We might be the one to get them to start thinking about it for the very first time. We might be the one to water a seed that someone else planted maybe a couple years ago or maybe a couple days ago. You know, it's funny, I, I pray try to pray every day, not every day, but I pray, Lord, lead me to somebody who I can either share my faith with or lead me to somebody who I can invite to church. And I was going to get ice cream one day, and, and, uh, and I prayed that that morning. And uh, I went to the, out of the blue, uh, the person served me at the counter goes, hey, uh, how was your day? And I said, well, you know, I said it was a long day. And she goes, oh, what do you do? And I thought, no one ever asked me that question. I said, well, I'm a pastor of a church. She goes, oh, cool, my brother's a pastor of a church. And I said, awesome, where at? She, you know, she told me where it was. I said, is that where you go to church? She goes, no, you know, I'm working here a lot on Sundays, so I don't really go to church. And I said, well, do you know the Lord? She goes, yeah. I said, well, you need to go to church. I said, we have a, a, you know, a midweek you know, young adult study that you could go. She was a younger gal. And said, you could go to on Thursday night. You know, I said, I want to encourage you to come. Where is it at? Calvary Chapel, Orlando. Got my ice cream. God bless you. Went out to my car. <laughs> Did not plan that at all. And, and to be honest, I was a little caught off guard at first. No matter how many times I, you know, I've shared my faith, every time it's just a matter of being obedient to the Lord's voice, trusting that he will empower me, expecting he'll empower me. We also, Jesus says here, not only do you heal the sick, but say to them, the kingdom of God has come near unto you. Which brings us to point number eight. We need to give the good news. We need to give them the good news. You know, he says, you need to say it. You know, you can't just act like a Christian. You need to say it. God, he says, the kingdom of heaven, God, is near to you right now. It's come near to you. God's kingdom is available to you right now if you'll just turn to him. We've healed your illnesses, but now it's time for you to let God heal your heart. You know, Jesus loved taking away people's suffering, their temporal pain, but he was only satisfied seeing them pass from death to life. And and we need to remember that when we are out there helping people or having compassion on somebody, you gotta give them the good news. You gotta tell them that there's a God out there who loves them and who died for them and can forgive all their sins if they'll turn to him. That it's right there in front of them. All they have to do is give their life to him. You gotta give them the good news. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.